Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Good morning. Well, open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 5. Tail into chapter 5, please. In case it's on two different pages in your book. If you're following along in a device, it's always on two different pages. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to study your word. To look, Father, with a depth, a curiosity, an interest, Father, in all that you would show us. Father, your word is timeless. And it, Father, shows us how eternally timeless you are. So we thank you that what worked then works now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking about the book of Proverbs. I hope you're studying along with us and reading along, uh, trying to do a chapter a day. It won't hurt you. It won't take you but about three or four minutes to to read the chapter. and You can just keep rolling through. It's probably going to take us a good portion of this year. Uh, in, in our Sunday school class to talk about this. I hope you're hearing things in the midst of each and every chapter that enables you to see things differently. Um, you see little, little glimpses or little bits of truth that, that just speak right into your life. And this is one of them in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 5 towards the tail end um, just to tie chapter 5 and chapter 6 together. If you notice in the 21st verse, it says, "...for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord." Whenever you see, most of the time when you see ways or path or or journey or something like that, it's a broader word than how we talk. If I said, um, you know, how do you journey to Denver, you would give me the physical parameters of driving there. But what he's asking is, how far do you drive before you get an attitude? Right? You've ever taken your kids anywhere. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The idea of biblical journey or biblical ways includes the, the, the idea of moral character. So as you're walking, maybe you've done this in your, in your just normal life and you're walking around the neighborhood or you took a new, new, a new uh, walk course and you found somebody whose lawn was more of a junkyard than it was a garden. Okay? And, and you said, as you were journeying, you talked about that yard. And in some ways, you talked about that yard in less than a glowing way, probably not in a representative way of what God would have us to do. Does that make sense? And so when the Bible talks about journey or path or way, it almost always includes a moral character component. It's the course of life and your response to it morally. Okay, So when you're driving in a city and you come up on the corner where the guy with the sign that says anything helps, God bless. That's what I'm talking about. That will affect your journey from a moral standpoint. Does that make sense? So are you all tracking with me or not? Because you're quiet. Okay, we, we good? 
Because if not, when you see these things, you'll just, you'll just put it in some sort of kind of thought process of, of, of biblical stuff and not ever really examine what it's talking about. So it says the ways of a man, and it includes a moral character component. It's not just the path you're on, but it's your response to the path you're on. Are we, are we together? You all recognize you do that occasionally what what you know whatever you go through there are some things so notice he says the ways of a, of a man are before the eyes of the lord and he now because capitalization punctuation and verse notations are something we've added context becomes really important as you process these things so you're going to need to trust the translators because the he is capitalized, and so that personal pronoun reflects deity. That's how they've translated it. You're going to have to trust that because there's a lot of personal pronouns throughout the book of, of Proverbs where you end up saying, wait a minute here, there's lots of he's and he did this and he did that, and which one of them is God and which one of them is us? Because in talking in a patriarchal society, you're going to have wisdom as a, as a woman, but everything else as a man. Okay? That's more cultural than, than, it, than it is actual translatable. But nonetheless, he ponders all his past. So this seems to imply that God ponders. Now, again, in, in biblical language, if you don't process this correctly, you'll just think that God has a question about how you're walking. But how many of you know if God is as smart as we think he is, as big as we think he is, it shouldn't be so hard to find out what he's about? I mean, you know, if, if God can hold the span of the universe in the palm of his hands like the Bible says, he's kind of big. Which just in common sense means he shouldn't be so hard to find. Right? If he's smarter than everybody else, it should imply to us or at least cause us to begin to thinking that when he ponders this, he's pondering it or questioning it, but I'm going to give you the definition of pondering in just a second. He's doing that from a supreme intelligence. Right? Not just, well, you know, what, what this person thinks and what that person... How many of you know that, that in, in today's society, you can find two people on different ends of the argument and both of them are driving in the ditch? Right? Somewhere between the two ditch positions is a position that God would call us to. The ability to love people while standing in a completely Jesus-centered standard. Right? You don't have to accept things that go against the Bible. You have to resort or, 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 or respond to those things based on who Jesus is. Not who you want other people to believe. And so it's very important that you begin to process this. So the word ponders there literally means to weigh or to watch, to measure. (laughs) Sorry. The weigh or watch to measure. It means to make level. The Bible says in Isaiah that he'll make every crooked path straight, every valley uh, he'll raise up, every hill he'll lower. His purpose in life is to smooth out your life. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's comfortable. 
It just means he meant to, stir, to, to smooth it out. Again, are we okay with this? When it says he, God, ponders all our paths, okay? All our courses of life that bring us, including the moral character thing of that, that bring us to the course of our life or the things that are happening in our life. So again, if you don't understand your own ways, you'll think that the way you walk is normal to everyone. Okay, that's how many ever said something like this? Common sense is just completely lost anymore. Well, what are we measuring that by? Our definition of common sense. Our definition of common sense. You might be right, but the very nature of common sense is the exclusivity of common sense to the person who's thinking. When you think about it, you're the one portraying the standard of common sense. This becomes important as we process what God's teaching us through the instruction from a father to a son. Every one of you traded in your lineage for a new lineage when you got born again. Every one of you. So whatever traits and things that you brought from your natural lineage, right? The gene pool. You are tall, short, skinny, fat based on your genes that came from your parents. But you are who you are on the inside based on the identity that God gave you at your born again experience. So just because your parents or grandparents were, were perfect or scoundrels, doesn't really make any difference, that does not have to, to govern the course of your life. Because God's watching our paths with a moral component. How many of you know your path can be right, but your moral component can be wrong? Guess what God's going to deal with? He will oftentimes deal with your moral component. And I don't mean to, to, to make this into some sort of, you know, morality police thing. You know and I know that God knows what you're dealing with. The things that are in you that God's trying to get out of you. They produce responses that affect the quality of your life on the path you're on. It is way easier to be on the path of life and to not be unforgiving. I don't care what you're doing. Unforgiveness will make you sick. You carry that stuff around until it gets, until it gets puked out. Normally that means that for whatever reason you'll be sitting with someone and all of a sudden stuff you never intended to say comes out. And the whole of your life is put before somebody as you puke on the table. Why? Because God wants to adjust the moral character that you approach life with. Most of us attempt to see our life through what God would forgive based on who God is, not based on what God's called us to do and who he is in us. Is that confusing? God is perfect we're not. He presents a perfect path to us and the adjustments in our life are towards walking in that perfection. Right? Now, in your humanness, 
you're going to have issues, some issues. And so you're going to have to process those. And God is pondering those, it says in this verse, the 21st verse. He ponders, he weighs those things out. He takes life's path and watches to measure it. He takes an active role in watching your life. Not to throw lightning bolts at you. Not to convict you that you're the worst person on the planet because of what you did that Jesus died for, by the way. That's not what he's trying to do. What's he trying to do? He's trying to help us walk on life's path without the hiccups that come from self-serving or selfishness in our path. I raised four boys. My wife and I raised four boys. Tracy raised four boys. I participated. (laughs) Anyway, sometimes when they got to be teenagers... They were eating us out of house and home. I mean, to tell you, they could eat. Big guys. And occasionally, Tracy would make my favorite dessert. And I'll just tell you, if there was ever anything left on the course of my life, I would ponder how to hide that from my children. Because what I think... I might not get any more if those ravenous locusts who are going across the pathway of our house, if they find they're going to eat it all up. And I want some more of it. And it's not that I shouldn't get more of it. Let's identify the moral character in that pathway, which is literally lust. Hello? It's literally lust in someone like me who does not need an extra portion of dessert. Now you say, oh, that's just a simple thing. Well, welcome to our world. God is working on our moral character while we do life. He weighs it. Notice it says in verse 22, his own iniquities. Now this is probably on the man side of thing. Not God doesn't have any sin, right? So his own iniquities, the man's iniquities entrap, circle around, hedge about, By his own cords of sin. His iniquities entrap. What's an iniquity? Does anybody know the difference between iniquities and sin? There's a difference. Sin is an action. Okay? Now, you can have sin without having an action, but you can't have sin without an iniquity. Iniquity is the thought process that leads you to sin. So for an example, if you're really sure that you can drive 71 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour speed zone because no cop will stop you, that's an iniquity. See, that's a a thought process that allows you to then contemplate doing a sin, an actual action. See, that's why things that are on the internet can produce iniquities. That's why Jesus said, you've heard it said that man shall not sleep with his neighbor's wife. But Jesus said, but I tell you, if you think to do it, you've already done it. Why? Because iniquity leads us there. So he's saying that the thought processes, the lack of a renewed mind... 
Proverbs is one of the greatest passage books, passages of, of, of verses in, in any book in the Bible. Why? Because it gives you a single line that you can adjust your life with. You just look at that and go, oh, that's what he meant. And most of us don't understand the Bible. Remember when I told you you all had a new identity based on, on Jesus coming into your life? Do you know that God always speaks to you in your new identity? He's not talking to you in your flesh. Paul said, I know no one according to the flesh. So when your flesh says in your conscience, in that sub-level of understanding, says it'll be okay, you can eat three pieces of dessert, that's not God. It's not God. You say, well, I'm sure it is. He lets me. And then you pull out that scripture to find out what is the good, the perfect, and the acceptable will of God. And you say, well, I want to be in the acceptable will of God. It's all one thing. The will of God is acceptable. It's not three different levels of the will of God. But what happens here is, it says he's, his iniquities, the thought processes, entrap him. Right? Look at it again, verse 22. His own iniquities attract, entrap the wicked man. You build the trap that God will use to hold you accountable to what you do. You say, well, I didn't know a God of grace would do that. Well, he didn't intend to do that. He intended to speak to you, have you hear it, and adjust based on what you heard. But some of us have to do it, find out that it's wrong, and that there are ongoing consequences, and then dig our way out of the entrapment. God never designed you to be entrapped. We, entrapped our, we entrap ourselves. That's what this says. Okay, Verse 22, he shall die for lack of instruction. Now, if you want a verse to put up in your bathroom or on a coffee cup, this is a good one. Now, nobody would buy it. He shall die for lack of instruction. Why would there be this kind of instruction in there? Because if we don't ponder our path like God ponders, to literally weigh it in a moral consideration as well as in a directional consideration, if we don't weigh it we will literally be providing a pathway that leads to death. It says, he shall die for lack of instruction. If I had a nickel for every time I told somebody a biblical truth and had them come back a month later, not living that biblical truth and still struggling with what they're going through, I'd be a millionaire. Lack of instruction will kill you. What's he saying? He's saying the lack of taken instruction. You guys are bombarded with this instruction every day. Just turn on the television set, turn on the radio, listen to a podcast, you know, get on the internet. You're bombarded with instruction. How many of you know some of that instruction is self-serving to the person giving it? You know, if you have a bright idea and buy a Ford, it's self-serving to them. If you deserve a break today and go to McDonald's, it's self-serving to them, Right? If you think Coors Light will help you process life better because the can turns colors. Well, congratulations, but that isn't going to work. Whatever, see, you, you'll, you'll die for lack of instruction. And look at what it says. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. This is the thought. People will say, 
well, I didn't realize I was in sin. I just woke up there one day. Well, first of all, you're more ignorant than I thought you were. Because you walked headlong into that with a conversation or a literal argument in your mind about how God would deal with you in the midst of that. And since God has not struck anybody dead, you're probably going to be okay. God doesn't strike people dead. The path we choose kills us. See? It's different. People, well, why didn't God stop us? He did. He said, listen to instruction. And he said that deep inside of our spirit man. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, we are one if He who is, it's, it's a passage in Corinthians talking about harlots, about, about, about prostitutes. But it says in, in, in culmination, it says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. If you're born again, you're one spirit with the Lord. That ought to preach. Look at Proverbs. So, so spent time in those two verses, the last two verses of five, to get you ready for six. Remember, the separation of this was put in by the translators after the fact. So Proverbs chapter six, verse one, didn't exist until we needed a way to kind of mark where we were. And so translators put this in. This was not in the original translation. So track with me. So he said, he shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. My son, what did he just get ready to do? He prepared him to receive the instruction. So verses 1 through 5 in Proverbs chapter 6 are tied to, and if I was able to do the separating of this, I would have included the last two or three verses of chapter 5. Because the instruction for why the instruction is coming is there. Notice it says, my son, if you become surety for your friend. We don't talk this way anymore. This is literally the promise that you would make for someone else's benefit. But more specifically, for a person that you can't, because it's not you, you can't control. So let's put it in co-signing terms. If you co-sign for someone and you, they can't make the payments, you are responsible. Well, I trusted my friend. See, there's an instruction and he's saying, what are you, you messing with our life? I'm not messing with anything. It's right here in the book. And people do this all the time and it leads to a problem. Right? He says, my son, if you have a choice, you need to weigh this out. You need to ponder this. Because he just gave us what God did, right? It literally means to braid together. Surety means to braid together. Now, if you've ever had a daughter's hair to do, and there's always that one mom. You know the mom I'm talking about that can do 72 kinds of braiding? You know, and, and your, your little princess wants that kind of stuff, but you don't got a clue, right? You don't know how to braid that together. And so, and you know, in the life of a, of a six or eight or nine-year-old, I mean, it's a serious deal. I mean, it's today I might die if my hair's not done right. And I'm just looking at it going, you know, this is not a very big problem. But if you don't know how to braid right, it can be a problem to your, 
to your grade school and junior high, and probably high school too, but in high school they get one of their friends to do it because they quit liking you, but nonetheless, that's how that works. <laughs> they will eventually come back, don't worry. But, but here's the deal, we have to learn how to braid right. We have to learn how to be surety. How do we trust in a world like this? It's just hard. I'm not here to tell you that you should never do any of these things. I'm here to tell you the Bible talks about it. You'll have to process it. If you become surety, if you braid yourself together, regardless of how fancy it is, he's warning you against it. I've lived to my retirement hill basically in the same job. The number of people who have sat in my office to talk about business deals that went bad. They braided themselves together with somebody, and somebody didn't hold up their end of the braid. And you know, I didn't raise any girls, but I have granddaughters. And that whole hair thing, I tell you what, I just buy them a stocking hat, you know. Poof! Put that thing on there and send them off, because I don't know how to do that. Well, come on, Papa, help us with this. Help. You know, and when you put the brush in their hair and, and the little tears come out of their eyes because you're, you know, you're pulling all that and that hurts, that hurts. Well, then let's put the stocking hat on. I mean, what is the problem here? And so anyway, it's how do we braid? And if you pull one of those braid pieces out, I'm telling you, it affects the other two pieces. So you've got to process that correctly. If you're going to be surety, you better be processing who you're braiding yourself with. And I don't care how much you like them. I don't even care if you're related to them. In fact, if you're related to them, you ought to have enough sense to let them find their own way. Well, amen anyway. You say, well, I couldn't do that. What if they struggle? Well, they can struggle now or they can struggle later. The easiest struggles I ever had in my life were early in my life. How about you? What would happen if you moved some of the more noticeable struggles earlier in life? Man, I was resilient when I was young. I mean, the only athletic event I ever lost was because the clock quit running. The clock would have ran long enough, we'd won. I lived my life that way. Uh, those are not, you know, and when, you, when you actually lost and they told you you had to leave the court, you know, you're crying, going, oh, man, we lost, we don't get to go, you know. That wasn't a very big problem. But at the time, it was huge. I remember after my grandfather died, I was in seventh grade. And so my mom, who's a single, only child, said, We'd done the funeral and we're there. Kind of, you know how that is with all that kind of stuff. And, and so my mom said to my brother and I, you can have one thing of grandpa's. Now, you know, I'd have taken lots of stuff if she'd have let me because I was kind of at that age of my life, I was kind of a hoarder. And so I had all these things that were so valuable. And uh, anyway, so I went into grandpa's room and I found his bathrobe. I didn't have a bathrobe, so I took his bathrobe. Rolled it up, you know, put it in a paper sack. It was before plastic sacks, okay? Put it in a paper grocery sack. Rolled it up, carried it around till we went home. Got home, 
next night or two, I take my bath or shower, whatever was the thing was going on, and I, I drug Grandpa's bathrobe down to the bathroom, and when I got done, I put it on. When I walked upstairs, my mom went, <laughs> why? It was her father's robe, and it reminded her of him. Why? Because we were braided together. And life pulled one of the braids out. This is serious stuff. But we make it so cavalier when we're buying a car. <laughs> Just sign on the dotted line. Or doing whatever. Being in business. We need to take it more seriously. Amen? If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger. Even when you're helping people who need help. If you don't get your instructions from God. You will help people who won't be helped by God. I'm not saying you shouldn't help them. I'm saying you should get your information from God. Need did not move Jesus, not even a little bit. When he went to his own hometown, he said he could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. Were there any needs there? Obviously there had to have been needs there. But he couldn't do it. Couldn't, wouldn't, shouldn't, whatever. Because of unbelief. The braiding process was affected by belief. When you shake hands, I don't know that you are aware of this, but we get the handshake from covenant making. We get wedding rings from covenant making. Did you know that? So when you shake hands with someone, so if I was going to be in covenant with Lola... Actually, I had to be in with Kevin, because if I was in it with Lola, you guys should stone me outside the gates of the city. <laughs> Not because it's Lola, but because she's married and I'm married. See, you guys went, well, why wouldn't you be in covenant with Lola? Because it's not morally upright. So I would go to Kevin. Now, I don't mean to, to suggest that Kevin has certain skills that I don't or I have that he doesn't, but that's what covenant does. It provides all that you are and all that they are together and they're wound together. And we would kill a calf, split it right down the spine, pop it open, lay it in a, in a, in a, in a depression in the ground, blood and all. And then he and I would start on the outside in different directions of this dead quivering pile of flesh and he would walk one way and I would walk the other and we would meet in the middle and when we met in the middle blood on our hands from killing this cow we would shake hands with the right hand and that would be the pledge all that I have I'm giving to you and all that you have you're giving to me so when he says if you've shaken hands in pledge he's talking about the basic understanding of covenant who are you going to be in covenant with? You say, oh, no, I'm just friends with them. Listen to me. You don't ever get to just be friends. It's always a covenant relationship. We were made for each other. The church ought to be way more confrontational than it is. Because of covenant. You're my brother and my sister. Stop it. <laughs> right? <laughs> we we have to have a relationship that allows us to braid together without damaging each other. 
You are snared, verse number two says, by the words of your mouth. Now pay attention for just a second. It says if you become surety, how do you become surety? By signing your name. How do you pledge? By shaking hands. You didn't really say anything, did you? The covenant speaks for us. I could be stoned for not providing for Kevin and by implication his children's children. Why? Because I made covenant with him. I didn't say I'd do that. Yes, you did. (laughs) When you shook hands. You see that? It's not really that you said, well, I promise. Nope, you promised by the surety by signing the contract. Now, you didn't say anything. Nope. See, it doesn't work that way because the covenant speaks for you. Now, there's a positive side to this. In where we live today, we're in a covenant, Abrahamic covenant, that was made without man. Did you, did you remember that? You know, God wanted to make covenant with Abraham. We got the quivering two sides of the flesh there. And God causes a deep sleep to fall on Abraham. And the smoking furnace and the burning flat go through together. And they make the covenant. Who made the covenant? God probably in the pre-incarnate Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus made the covenant. Our covenant is based on God and his son. It's a positive thing. You know what? They shook hands in the middle of the covenant without saying anything. They said, I'm going to provide everything for your ancestors and you're going to provide everything for my ancestors. That's what covenant does. That's what we live in. That's why I'm always amazed for people when, when, when they say that God doesn't do that kind of stuff. No, honest. He did. Why? Because he's a covenant God. He promised. I'll choose you. He said. Snared by the words of your mouth, you're taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, verse 3, and deliver yourself. For you've come into the hand of your friend, meaning that your life is now being controlled by your covenant that you made. You have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. This is not strong enough language. This is like this, this, this colossal begging to keep your person in covenant in the, in the fulfillment of, of the covenant agreement. So if you are in surety for someone, the responsibility for them holding up their end of the deal rests largely with you. Isn't that interesting? Why did, why did, why did Solomon's father say to him, uh, don't do this? Because sometimes we just can't trust the path, the way of someone. Right? see that all the time in politics and all that kind of stuff. Keep reading with me. Go down to verse number five. It says, deliver yourself like a gazelle. He uses poetic language here to say, listen, run fast, jump high, get away. Don't, don't do this. Second bit of instruction. All, in my opinion, all this comes from him saying the last three verses of chapter five. He says, here's what instruction does. Here's how this works. Here's how God sees this. Now, let me give you these. And there's actually three of them. Let me give you this, this stuff. But notice it says, if you have a, a, a study Bible, it might say the folly of, of indolence. Now, when the Bible uses words that we don't understand, we should look them up. 
And so it's really about laziness, but that doesn't cover it. It actually means something along the lines of freedom from pain. So this is the danger of being free from pain in life. Now, what's he going to talk about? He's probably going to talk about the struggle that's necessary to take care of everyday things. Look at it, verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person, look at the ant. Consider her ways and be wise. Now, I'm not here to say that ants have a moral compass. But when ants evidently need to gather food to make it through the frozen time, they get that all done. They carry it down in the labyrinth of pathways inside their little anthill. And I would, I, would, I would challenge you in the dead of winter now, we've got some anthills around here, go out and find one. Go out and find an ant. They're down in there. They're eating. They're having a good time. What's he saying? They went through a, <laughs> they went through a lot of pain to get to this place in the wintertime having provided for their needs. Verse number 7, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler... He says, listen, this seems to be just, just, just bred into them. By the way, this is one of the greatest verses against evolution you'll ever see. Because, see, if, if you actually think that the ant somehow figured this out and passed it on evolutionary-wise, what happened to the trial and error and the survival of the fittest that those people love to talk about? The fittest person at the beginning died because he didn't have any help. Because nobody would follow him and save up. They were all living life, right? Or just, you know, if it's just biology, if it's just biology, then find you a female ant and have a good time. You don't need to save up for this. No, just go ahead. Just have a great time. Why? Well, because we live and then we die. But what were the ants doing? Somehow built into them to be used by God as an example is who God made ants to be. that interesting? Please stop saying you can't figure out why God made ants or flies. I know you don't like them. But if you are a creationist, everything God made had a purpose. And let me just point out to you about the flies. When flies land on dead stuff, they lay eggs there, which produces maggots, which causes the quicker deterioration of the smelly stuff. They had a purpose. They were the first funeral directors. <laughs> Verse 8, provides her supplies in the summer, gathers her food in the harvest. When will you rise? Verse 9. How long will you slumber, O lazy person? When will you rise from your sleep? The idea behind sleep sometimes is, is dead, death. Sometimes sleep is out of laziness, and sometimes sleep is out of ignorance. You can have your eyes closed to something. Look down, if you would, to verse number 11. He says, So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler. He gave instruction to keep his son out of poverty. And part of that instruction is to watch what naturally occurs in the creative function of God's stuff. You can see all of that. 
and your need like an armed man. <laughs> the armed man reference is a, is, a, is a reference to someone who protects what's important to him. Okay? And so your need is now giving, given a kind of a persona like an armed man. That's why it's difficult to get out of need. Is need reproduces after its own kind. Like an armed man. Just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. Notice the second group. It's called the wicked man. The worthless person in verse number 12. He says he walks with a perverse mouth. A wicked person. Listen. Now I'm not trying to pick on any of you if this is who you are. But if you talk different on Sunday than you do on Tuesday. The Bible calls you a wicked man. You ought to be able to control your tongue. If you can't wisely communicate without using four-letter words and whatever else, I'm, I'm not the talking police here. I'm here to tell you the Bible speaks to that. Perverse mouth. Twisted. A perverse mouth. A twisted mouth. He gives this to us so that we'll recognize it. Okay, let's go back up. When you ponder the path, this should come up inside of you. Go, oh, okay, this is not the way to do it. When you don't do the surety thing, you should listen to the perverse mind. See, all these things tie together. You shouldn't be surety people who can't walk with their mouth correctly. James says that bitter water and sweet water shouldn't come out of the same spigot. That's what he's talking about. You didn't know all this stuff was in Proverbs, but it's all right here just in a path. He walks in a perverse mouth in verse 12. He winks with his eyes. Back in the olden days, just like today, when we winked, we winked to let people who were watching know we were lying. Right? Here's a little, here's a little secret thing, you know, wink, wink, wink kind of thing. Well, we shouldn't live that duplicitous lifestyle. He shuffles his feet. He points his finger. Here's a guy who's filled with accusation. Ponder your ways. And so if you are this person, even occasionally, what you will find is that you are an expert at finding fault. That interesting. I thought you guys would like this better than this. Perversity is in his heart. It's a thought process, a twisted thought process that's made the journey from your brain through your mouth into your heart. He devises evil continually. He thinks about and processes evil continually. He sows discord. Bible says, mark those among you who sow discord. What's he saying? An evil person plants the seed. Now let me tell you how that works in today's society. What you will hear happen is, in your little quiet friendships, somebody come up to you and say, well, did you hear the latest? And they'll talk about someone. We should run from that. I'll guarantee you, if you're not in that mix, when the next rumor mill starts, you will be. You will be. 
You can't believe the number of rumors that happen. I always like it when I can sneak into an event or into a thing where nobody knows me. Yeah, that's happened to me a couple times in, in, in my life, and, and one of them was when I was sitting, sitting across from a lady who talked about our church nonstop during this meal. So I just let her. She didn't know what she was talking about. She was so in discord. Now, I was sitting with my wife and, my, and my, our first volunteer uh, there, Lois. And Lois kept looking at Tracy and smiling, and Tracy kept looking at me smiling. And I think they both were wondering when I was going to drop the hammer on this woman. I invited her to church. Figure she knew so much about church, she ought to come. Verse 15, therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. And then he goes into the 16th verse. We're going to stop right after this. Again, all this is to attach, but look at verse 16 through 19. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Now, this is, everybody loves these, right? Let me tell you what it says. Yes, seven. This kind of poetic language says these six things are really bad, but the seventh one is worse than all six together. Did you see it? You say, well, I didn't know that. I'm telling you. The first six, we're going to count them in just a second. That's how we're going to close. The first six are bad. The seventh one is worse than all the others combined. According to God. Number one, proud look. Number two, lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift, running in evil. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. Number seven is next. Read it. He who sows discord among his brethren. See why Proverbs is pretty important. It ought to be marked by that. See, you, you probably wouldn't have got this if you wouldn't have studied Proverbs and looked at it and go, man, these are some simple things. You know, God really doesn't like a proud look. I wish he would have defined what that meant. But how many of you know when you see a proud look? How many of you give yourself grace for that same proud look? How many recognize that proud look can sow discord among brethren? Because we're certainly better than those people down the street at that other church. See, that's how it works. For 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has been failing this test. Because we so... Right? We okay? Y'all still love me? Okay, keep reading this. We'll pick up chapter 7 next week. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for teaching us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.